0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. With the third pick in the 2020 NBA Draft, the Charlotte Hornets select. LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ. Oh, goodness! Stunning! Oh, Stunning. oh my goodness!
1: Oh, I don't believe it! A, a day it. Day. Just it already. All right, guys. Welcome in to another BuzzBeat Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you guys enjoyed your Father's Day. Actually recording this. Midday Sunday before game one between the Phoenix Suns and the Clippers. So I do not know the results of that game or game seven between the Hawks and the 76ers. I'm excited to watch that. First off, a couple things to remind you guys. Buy me a coffee. Our site is going to be linked in the episode description. We released a video on Friday about Isaiah Jackson Big out of Kentucky, video clips, conversation about him. The audio version of that podcast won't be releasing until July 2nd. So if you would like to get your hands on that conversation, 30-minute interview that I did with Brian, that'll be available on the Buy Me A Coffee site. Also, this Tuesday on our YouTube page, live at 8.30ish, for the reaction of the NBA draft lottery. Hornets have the 11th highest odds of getting the top overall pick. They did jump up five spots last year when they went from eighth overall to number three. And we all know how that ended up with LaMelo ball. So hopefully more good luck will come this franchise's direction I'm not getting my hopes up, keeping it realistic. I've got a just a hunch that we're going to be staying at 11. If the Hornets do jump up into the top four, uh, that changes the types of players that you can get. Yeah, it's it's always a game changer if they're one of those top four teams. All right, so like I mentioned, recording this on a Sunday afternoon, a little bit before Game one between the Phoenix Suns and the Clippers. Very excited about that. I had noted this on a previous BuzzBeat episode, but I had the Lakers winning the first round, like in my predictions in the first round. But I remember mentioning on an episode shortly after the first round started, I was basically saying if Suns can get out of the first round, I see them as a finals team. I really do. I've enjoyed watching that team play. Uh, Very unselfish. It's a team that's not solely dominated with with Chris Paul. And obviously, Chris Paul, uh, there's still some questions about his availability for the series or when he can actually start playing. And then on the opposite end, you've got Kawhi Leonard, who's going to be out for the first couple of games. So Injuries have been a big thing this season for every basically every single team in the NBA, but I'm just going to ride with the Suns. I know that the Clippers are probably the favorites, and they have some firepower with, with Paul George and their small ball lineup that they have going on, but the Suns just seem like a team of destiny to me. And Aiton's playing well. Mikkel Bridges is a beast on the defensive side of the court. All these players are stepping up when they need to. And it's all led by Chris Ball and his right elbow mid range jumper. But again, he's not gonna be available or we don't really know when he's going to be available, but he's not gonna be available for game one. So it's gonna be interesting to see how uh, these teams work without them. Injuries have been, like I said, the biggest issue for this season and I don't think there should be an asterisk on the season, but I know a lot of people are kind of viewing this as a wasted season just because of how short in the offseason was and, and things like that. Did watch game seven last night between the Nets and the Bucs. I'm i still shocked that the Bucks won that series. The Milwaukee offense, to me, not very pretty. At times, it can get a little bit predictable. I think that, Milwaukee lacks some depth now with with Dante Divincenzo out with his ankle injury, and it's like it's Chris Middleton, it's Giannis, it's Brook Lopez, and PJ Tucker. And that's it. I, I just don't feel like there's a lot of other players. I mean, Drew Holiday, obviously, forget about him. But that's just because his shooting has been so poor in that in that series. He did have some clutch shots late, so it just it still surprises me this afternoon that. The Bucks are moving on and going to face the winner of the 76ers and the Atlanta Hawks. I think with their offense, they've first off, they've got to be less predictable. They've got to get a lot of people involved for them to be effective. And it should be run through Giannis and, and Giannis should be aggressive in attacking the rim. If he's taking three point shots or pull up mid-range shots consistently, I just don't trust this team to produce on the offensive side of the court and, and win a game or win a series, I should say. And I just don't trust this team if if that's what's happening. If, if the offense is getting to a point to where it's just iso ball and, and Giannis is taking pull-up mid-range shots or, or three-point shots, they're at their best when he's driving and kicking and attacking the rim and you know backing people down. I know that you want him to develop a shot, but right now, obviously, he didn't have that, he doesn't have that, even at the free throw line, he's he's struggling, and the Nets fan was, with the funniest thing last night with the crowd was the Nets fans counting to 10, and obviously, they were going a little bit quick, but man, does he take his time at the free throw line, and the thing with with game seven, Durant on the other end was just amazing, and it's he just quietly puts up numbers like you look up in the box score and before you know it he has 29 points or whatever it may be and he looked exhausted last night james harden wasn't really giving you much offensively defensively i guess he got to the free throw line a lot with his flailing i can't i can't stand that from him but it is what it is he was not really driving inside the three point arc but at least he got some points for brooklyn at the free throw line I thought Bruce Brown was awesome, especially in the first half. You know, Hornets fans, if you watch Cody Zeller, there is some Cody Zeller in the way that Bruce Brown plays in terms of moving the ball side to side, setting screens, being that center point that can switch the ball from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. He's very willing to, you know, be a short-roll playmaker he had his push shot working in Game 7. He is is just feisty on the defensive side of the court. He's undersized, obviously. He's not the size of Cody Zeller, but just with the way that he plays stylistically, like that's kind of what I see within him. Teams do back off of him as well because of the three-point shot or the lack of the three-point shot from him, almost like Cody Zeller, but I, I don't think he's phased by that. I don't think he's phased by that at all. So, Game seven, very interesting. Went into overtime last night. I enjoyed it very much. I'm looking forward to the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals. Whenever that gets set, uh, Western Conference Finals intrigues me a little bit more. I don't even care if it's 76ers or Atlanta on the Eastern Conference side. The Clippers in the Suns series definitely intrigues me, and I think that if Chris Paul can get back sooner rather than later, I'm gonna roll with this. I'm gonna roll with the Suns. I really am. All right, so today's episode is going to be something that maybe we can incorporate into future episodes moving forward. We're gonna call it Buy or Sell, Buy or Sell. Basically, and maybe we can come up with a better name than that. I I just couldn't think of anything, usually creative, but I couldn't think of anything in the moment here. What's happening is listeners are sending in their quote-unquote hot takes as it regards to the Charlotte Hornets. I will read them. And I will either have to buy what they are believing or sell it off, and and not agree with what's what's being said in this hot take. Now, there are several of these that I was kind of in between, but for the sake of the podcast, I'm not going to hold or you know straddle the line here. I, I'm going to make a definitive decision: am I selling this or am I buying this? And there are six of them on today's episode. All right, number one at Maxton N M N Artists on Twitter. He's also a Buy Me a Coffee supporter as well. Shout out to him. His stance is this: in order for Devonte to be good on offense, the offense must run through him. Buy or sell, guys. Okay, so you guys can play along at home as well. I am going to just come out and say I'm going to sell this. I'm going to sell this idea that for Devontae to be good on offense, it has to be run through him. Up until this past season, that is what you saw. I mean, obviously he's only been in the the league for three years, but those first two seasons, obviously his second season was where you saw his usage and his availability be more of a factor. He was used heavily in pick and rolls, and – by taking him out of that style on offense, by taking the ball out of his hands, I do think that you will lose a little bit of his pick and roll playmaking. He's very good at splitting traps, making great passes. And yeah, I mean, if you use him heavily in pick and roll and you run the offense through him, you will get some playmaking that is derived from his pick and roll usage, his, his passing and stuff like that. The role changed happened this season where he was shifted off the ball with the addition of LaMelo ball. You've got Terry Rozier who can handle the ball a little bit, obviously more suited to play off ball. You've got Malik Monk, who's a combo guard as well, can handle the ball and Borrego, like to play three-guard lineups where players are almost interchangeable and anyone can take the ball up the court. But we definitely saw a significant role change with Devontae this season where the offense was not run through him. And when you draft a player like LaMelo, who, I don't know if I should say, like needs the ball per se, but he is somebody that thrives with the ball in his hands and he gets others going with his playmaking, Devontae had to move off ball, and he's always been, since day one, always been a fairly effective player in catch-and-shoot situations from behind the arc. I, I think last season he shot close to 42%. This season he shot 42.3% on catch-and-shoot three-pointers, and shoot 3 pointers I just felt like his role this season, even though it, it wasn't as high usage as it was in in nineteen twenty, he was a better overall player on offense. Effective field goal percentage was up from last season. We all know the issues with him inside the arc in terms of finishing at the rim, his floater game, uh, mid-range game is iffy. It's up and down, but I don't think I can necessarily say that for him to be good on offense, the ball has to be run through him. I do think that there are some drawbacks when you do that because he is undersized. And obviously the personnel around him is going to dictate a lot of what's going on. If if he is the top of the scouting report, I don't think that that's the best way to go and to utilize him because teams can trap him hard. He They can run him off the line with the ball in his hands. And then he doesn't necessarily produce inside the arc so there's not that effectiveness that you have with him when you run the offense through him now you put him off the ball where some of the other players around them are touching the ball a little bit more that's where I feel like he can be more effective catch and shoot three-pointers like I mentioned spot-up game he can beat a closeout and, and make the swing. If you need to put him in pick and rolls, that's fine. But I don't think he should be the primary guy in which the offense is run through him. And for him to be effective or to be good on offense, as Maxton is saying, the offense doesn't necessarily have to run through him. Now, ultimately, his role within this team might be someone that's coming off the bench. And, and maybe that's where he sees a little bit more of that usage coming off the bench. But I think Borrego does a good job of realizing that there's some interchangeable guards on this team where he doesn't have to be the one that's taking the ball to the court all the time. And I just thought he was better overall this year on offense. And I don't know if it was a direct correlation with the role change this season, but I do think that he's always been a guy that can play off the of ball. And... With the players that are now on this roster, uh, specifically Lamelo, I, I don't think there's any way that the offense is going to be run through Devontae. I'm going to sell this. So <laughs> that's my first one, selling that one. All right, let's take a break real quick, and then we'll come back and do numbers two through six.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
2: you won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, hot take, if you want to call it number two, from at Tyranny 45 I'm assuming this is an Arsenal fan. I'm an Arsenal fan as well. Didn't watch ton of them this year. Watched them more in the previous seasons. But I need to get back on to watching Arsenal. But there's probably a reason why I stopped watching them this year. Anyway, he says, Borrego's style of basketball is not playoff winning style. In parentheses, he says, everyone being allowed to be a playmaker, no set role for role player. So he thinks that Borrego and his style will not prove to be something that is effective or produce winning uh, in the playoffs. So before I tell you if I'm going to buy or sell this, I just want to preface this, that I, I think with the Hornets roster, it's very, let me put it this way, it's very personnel dependent. Until the Hornets get a star threat that... They can run offense through, and that player can go get him a bucket himself. It's sometimes hard to fully judge this statement. I think the team as a whole, especially when you watch that play-in game, yeah, I mean, they were not ready to play playoff basketball. They just weren't, and I think experience matters. And right now, Borrego has a team full of young players that are getting significant minutes You've got Gordon Hayward. You've got Terry Rozier, who has some experience. But for the most part, this is a very, very young team, a very, very young team that are still learning the ropes. So to to judge him off of his style or the way that he plays just based off of what we saw against Indiana or what we could have seen in the first round, I don't know if that's the perfect way to judge his style of basketball. You know, looking at the playoffs this year, Teams like Phoenix and, and Utah are teams that are pass heavy. They play make for others. There's not that "quote unquote" star that they have on their team. Chris Paul is a star, but I guess what I'm getting at both of these teams they they're high in assists, they're high in passes made, and they are teams. Obviously, Phoenix is still in it. These are teams that are effective. Now, a lot of people were giving grief for Utah. You know, Donovan Mitchell basically carrying that team. Rudy Gobert was getting a lot of flack for his defense and, and not being able to adjust, I guess, more so Quint Snyder than, than Gobert because Gobert has his limitations on the defensive side of the court. I mean, Clippers are even a team that you're seeing pass the ball at a high rate, and that's not something that you probably would have thought of when you think about this roster. You know, the ISO ball has really started to fade with that team. It, it really has. Like, you're not seeing Kawhi and Paul George just dribble the ball, you know, until there's three seconds left on the shot clock and try to go get themselves a basket. I think that's fading. I think that's fading with this team, and I think that they're a team that has impressed this season and especially this postseason with the way that the small ball has worked for the Clippers. And and JB, he's not afraid to experiment with small ball options. We saw P.J. Washington at the five and, you know, the three-guard lineup. He's, he's someone that is is willing to use small ball lineups and, and figure out what works best for this team offensively, interchangeable parts, interchangeable playmakers, and I, like I said, I think until you get a bigger star player, I don't know if you can fully say that Borrego's style is the issue here. I'm going to go ahead and sell this. I'm going to go ahead and sell this. I I, I think this style of basketball can work. I think if you build the habits of everyone being allowed to be a playmaker and then you get the star, you put him in the system, and he rubs off or the system rubs off on him, then then I do think that this is a style that can win in the playoffs. Right now, it's a personnel issue. It, to me, it's not. To me, it's not a X's and O's or reflection on Barrego at all. If this team were to make the playoffs next year, and they don't win a first round series or it doesn't produce winning basketball, I don't think it's necessarily because of the style. Because there are teams in this playoffs that even with stars, like I said, the Clippers. You know, even with the stars on that team. You know, they're they're a very unselfish team that are kicking and and, and driving and and finding shooters in the corner and doing all the little things. So I I think I'm going to have to sell with this. And then obviously you got Batum on the Clippers who is doing a little bit too much for my liking. I mean, blocking shots, dunking the ball like this aggressive Batum is not something that we saw in Charlotte. (laughs) <laughs> and he's fitting right in with that small ball and facilitating as well. He's, he's definitely making that extra pass like he was so used to doing in Portland and so used to doing in Charlotte as well. But the thing with Charlotte was he was making the extra pass and never looking to shoot or never looking to be somebody that was the aggressor type. So two for two, I'm going to sell number two as well. Borrego style of basketball is not playoff winning style. I'm going to sell that. All right, number three from Eric Cooper at Hanging Wit Cooper on Twitter. Hornets should trade the 11th overall pick, assuming that's where they land for Cam Reddish to have a legit 3 and D rotation player. All right, so Cam Reddish, we haven't seen him in the playoffs yet with that Achilles injury. I think he just played like 25 games this season with that injury. And like I said, he's yet to play as we head into game seven versus Philly. 3 and D. Well, let let me say this. I think is an offensive type of player. He can guard multiple positions. He's got those physical components. He's locked in. He's he's he can strip the ball. He can he can be a pest on the defensive side of the court. That's what he was known for coming out of Duke. The 3 has not developed and I get that it's only been two seasons and I'm not saying that it won't develop, but shooting 33% and 26% in his first two years respectively, That hasn't really developed. I mean, he hasn't really developed much of an offensive game, period. And to me, his value does not equate to the 11th overall pick right now. Right now. I mean, a couple seasons down the road, if he has a resurgence or he does develop an offensive game, he has all the physical tools to turn into a legit 3 and D rotation player. But right now, his value does not equate to the 11th overall pick. And I think Atlanta would do this in a heartbeat. If you said, hey, I have the 11th overall pick. You guys have Cam Reddish. Let's just do a straight swap. I think Atlanta would be more willing to do that than the Hornets. I'm going to sell this idea. So (laughs) three for three, I'm selling this idea. I think if Cam Reddish showed a little bit more spark offensively, glimpses there, I would be more willing to consider this. And again, I'm not saying that he can't or won't, but right now his value is not that of 11th overall pick, even though he was drafted higher than that in his draft. Next couple of ones are all related to P.J. Washington, and it's interesting how much of these hot takes are centered around him with the season that he had. I get it. I get it. It was not a... It was definitely an underwhelming season for P.J., up and down, inconsistent. His rookie season you know, had a lot of, lot of highs and less lows, I think, in his sophomore season, more lows than highs. But I, I'm still a believer in P.J. Washington. I think he can learn a lot from Miles Bridges, how Miles Bridges had an inconsistent sophomore season and made that huge jump that he did in this past season. So this is from at DrexelSpivey56 on Twitter. PJ's ideal running mate isn't a conventional rim runner, but more of an inside-out four slash five a la Millsap or Horford. I guess I'd first push back that those guys are inside-out guys, but to your point, Millsap, Horford are not conventional rim runners. This is an interesting one. I had to give this one thought. I'm not really sure how I feel about this. PJ's best minutes this season objectively came at the five. He can stretch the court, he can shoot from behind the arc, even though, like I mentioned, it might have gone through spurts this season. He's upper 30s from three, like in his first two seasons. So like that's that's something that we have counted on from him when he comes out on the court. I, I think a rim runner would take advantage of the space that P.J. creates by picking and popping. Uh, you can run a horn set where he's the 4 and the rim running five would come up and set a screen for LaMelo, he would pop and then the rim runner would roll to the basket. It would put a defense in a bind because you have to respect PJ's 37-38% shot from behind the arc. And then if you have a vertical lob threat, you've got to worry about that. And then you got LaMelo who's a good passer who can find shooters in the corners and he can obviously make that lob threat to the the rim runner. So to me I'm going to sell this one again. I'm going to sell this one again. I do think a conventional rim runner would be a better fit next to PJ versus an inside-out guy. And PJ's rim numbers have been poor this season. And I think that's got to be, there's got to be some type of pressure on the rim while PJ is out there on the court. And to me, he when I watch him, he's comfortable down there and he's a physical player, but right now he's not converting close for whatever reason, and that, that's got to get fixed. There's got to be some sort of pressure on the rim, and, and Charlotte has struggled with this for the last handful of seasons, regardless of PJ's out there. Or we're just talking about anyone, you know. So to have that pressure on the rim with the rim runner and having that lob threat, that's where the rim runner can really benefit from PJ's pick-and-pop and spacing ability. So I think if you put someone next to PJ that is like PJ, like because I, I would consider PJ more of a Millsap Horford type type. I mean they're they're still different versus a lob thread. I don't I don't think PJ's a lob thread. I do think there does need to be some variance and just some diversity with his four or five partner there. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say sell this one as well. I think PJ's ideal running mate would be. A, a rim runner. But I did, I did have to give this one thought. All right, last two. We'll make these ones quick. Number five is from James Plowright at the Hive Rider at British underscore buzz. PJ Washington will come off the bench next season. Well, with Miles at the four, like I mentioned in the previous question, I think PJ's best minutes this season came at the five with Miles at the four. Those, that pair right there worked well. Miles improved tremendously, like I said, in the sophomore season, playmaking, shooting off the dribble, off the bounce, his handle, his defense was more locked in. A lot of these improvements happen with Miles, and I don't think that he is going to be giving up his starting job anytime soon. You know, barring an injury, barring something crazy, I think that Borrego probably in pen has Miles slotted as the starter at four. And he started... You know, when he got that opportunity to start, he didn't really relinquish it outside of the fact that he was out with the health and safety protocols. He didn't relinquish that role. He was the starting four. Now, or starting three, I guess, at some points with with PJ. But I guess the thing is, it depends on free agency and, and the priorities there have got to be at the center position. You've got Nerlandz Noel, who's a rim runner, lob threat guy. I mean, it's pretty limited offensively. you got Holmes if the Hornets want to go that route. So if those two players or, you know, any center that the Hornets feel can, can fit that starting role. I I do think that you shift PJ coming off the bench and then you just fill the one, two, three spot with obviously LaMelo, Rozier and Hayward. And you got miles bridges at the four. I I still think that PJ is going to have a, a big role with this team. And, he can learn a lot from Miles Bridges in his rise in his sophomore season. I do think that that PJ is going to come back stronger next season. But as of now, I think he will be penciled in as a bench player, six man, interchangeable with the four five, playing with Miles Bridges, playing without Miles Bridges. So I'm going to buy this statement: PJ Washington will come off the bench next season, at least to start. And I'm I'm going to say I'm going to buy that statement. And then the last one here, we'll get to this real quickly. At Rich Kingston seventy-three, PJ is expendable if it means getting a real five. Allen Holmes, etc. Expendable. That's a that's a strong word. I'm going to say if they were to get Allen, let me say this: if they were to get Allen, Jared Allen, that is, he's a restricted free agent, and Cleveland traded a first-round pick for this guy, so. I do find it very unbelievable that the Hornets will even target Allen but even further if they do try to go after Allen they're going to have to first make some things work salary-wise to entice him to come and but Cleveland has the right to match any offer that comes that way so if they were putting all their eggs in the basket of Jared Allen by trading a first round pick for him I think that they would be pretty into the idea of bringing Jarrett Allen back, I just think that they're committed to that point. I mean, he obviously he's he's a a great defender. He's a lob threat, pick and roll partner with Lamelo that would work perfectly. And to me, I think you know out of all the players that are out there, he would probably be the top center in terms of fit, in terms of age, in terms of everything that the Hornets could use, but. I just don't think it's realistic, and I'm not even really focusing on him right now just because I just don't think that that's going to be the route that the Hornets can go. Holmes, on the other hand, yeah, I think he's he's gettable, and Sacramento has some issues, some limitations, and how much they can offer him, and he's not restricted, by the way, but with the bird rights and everything, it's, it's, it's still going to be difficult for Sacramento to retain Rashawn Holmes, and I think that depending on how much money – Charlotte has with uh, some of their cap holds and stuff like that. If they're able to go get a Rashawn Holmes, does it make PJ expendable? <sighs> I would say this: if they got Jarrett Allen, I would say PJ is expendable. If they got Rashawn Holmes, he's 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 somewhat expendable. I feel like I'm straddling the line here, so I'm gonna say, uh, oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna sell this idea. I still think that PJ, like I said, is gonna play a big role for this team this season. Man, it's tough. It's tough. It, I guess the thing is, I don't think the Hornets are getting Jarrett Allen. So that's probably why I'm leaning more sell than buy. If they were to get Jarrett Allen, I think it would be wise for the Hornets to kind of test, just put feelers out there on P.J. Washington. But again, he's only been in the league two seasons. And we saw how quickly thoughts can change and feelings can change on players. Just look at Miles Bridges. Miles Bridges is is a player that was inconsistent from day one, inconsistent his sophomore season. And now everyone is talking about how he, over Washington, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of Hornets fans are saying that he is the better future piece for the Hornets. And some might push back on that idea, but you've got to give P.J. Washington time. All right, guys. So this Tuesday, like I said, if you guys want to tune in, YouTube live, 830 I guess it's 8.30. Whenever the lottery starts, we're going to basically fire that up. Spencer, Brian, myself are going to be there. Maybe we can get a guest. I'm not sure. We're going to react to the lottery, talk about some of the prospects in the range, whether it's like the 11th pick or if somehow the Hornets get lucky again and jump to the top four, maybe we start talking about Evan Mobley or Jalen Suggs or Jalen Green. And I I don't think it's going to happen, but you can come join us, react with us, give us your commentary in the chat. If you give us questions, we will definitely keep tabs on those and and bring them up. We're also going to do a trivia for a prize on Tuesday evening. So if you guys want to join, just to give you guys a hint, it's draft related. So if you want to try to do some pre research, if you can, it's, it's a draft related trivia question. So, Hope you guys have a good Monday, and I will talk to you guys later. Go Hornets.